I'm Helen Lowe, and this is Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted, a series of dialogues I'm sharing with a soul friend and fellow life learner, Lisa Fitzhugh, because we believe that relating to self and other with honesty and vulnerability unlocks the transformational potential needed in a world poised for collapse. While some might challenge the notion that conversation is a catalyst for real change, we trust this most humble of actions is precisely what's needed to dismantle what doesn't work and cultivate a more inclusive and sustainable way of being. Whoever you are, we're honored to have you in the conversation. Good afternoon on the sunny, gorgeous fall day. Good afternoon, Lisa. <laughs> We've been long overdue for our uh, having our next conversation. Yeah, it's been a long while. It, we're kind of getting back in the saddle, it feels like. Yeah. How do we ride I, this horse? <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we're different. The horse is different. You're right. I don't feel like the same person I was three months ago. I don't, I'm not sure who I am. <laughs> so you and I have been talking about off the, the recorded record, um, the political climate in these last few months when we've been checking in and we've said that someday, maybe if we ever got back to recording our conversations, maybe we would kind of expand on some of the themes that we've talked about in, before and most especially the last conversation we had which is where we're investing our energy expanded into the political arena a bit more we, we've mentioned it periodically but and it feels especially important given um, where we are in um, the political season um, not only with the impeachment hearings going on but with the presidential race um, picking up speed every day you have a really interesting to me perspective. You understand that climate in ways lots of people I talk with don't. And I've appreciated some of our personal off the record conversations. From your perspective of being so involved in politics, like what are, how are you encountering what's going on in the, in the presidential race and, and the political climate maybe even on a bigger scale like how what are you perceiving what is this what's going on in you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I have a pretty kind of concrete example that I think could describe it really well about where I'm at when I look out at the political landscape um, and you're right I mean I spent a big chunk of time when I started out in my career working for elected officials thinking I might want to be one I worked with them in, at Congress and I worked with one locally and I worked with a mayor here in Seattle. So there's a sense that I understand kind of the, like what the political rules are. And then I just stepped away from it and I haven't been near it for 20 years, but I've followed it and I care about it and I care about how people lead. Um, and there's a race that's been um, decided here recently, you know, the city council race, the Seattle city council race between two candidates, um, one of whom was getting a lot of Amazon money and one of whom was not. And has been, you know, Pashama Sawant, who's been on the progressive um, 
you know, all of the, all of her policy, uh, what she stands for from a policy perspective, I would say are kind of to the far left. Um, some call her socialist. I don't really care about that, lo those labels. I think she stands for good stuff in terms of equity, fairness, um, justice, <laughs> you know, uh, big corporations paying, paying more of their share of the externalities of our, our society up against this other guy who got a bunch of Amazon money. And what I noticed about the race was that we were caught sort of arguing who was going to represent the most progressive agenda from a content perspective, from a what perspective, you know, standing for the minimum, who actually fought for and got the minimum wage passed, who stood for and, and will continue to press for Amazon paying more to a solution on homelessness, you know, taxing the head tax issue, all of that. It's all policy what. And the conversation around the how, how Kashama was leading, which has been disappointing to people because she has been using what I'd call the tools of the master. She's been aggressive and um, dismissive and I've seen her be disrespectful and confrontational in ways that felt to me like a major lost opportunity for building understanding across people who have different ideas about the what and even across people who have very similar ideas about the what and when I would try to engage people on that i could feel the judgment coming across as ooh sellout does that mean you're for egan orion the amazon guy and i would say well i'm for the candidate that i believe is going to lead well as in lead from their values not just in the what but in the how how he is a human how she is a human with other humans and um, that boils it down for me in large part. When I look out at the political landscape, it's, I, we have neglected to ask our leaders to step up to a much higher level of how, um, we know it when we see it, but I don't think we necessarily sort of, um, make the bar as clear consistently, and then really demand that people lead that way going forward. I think it's an afterthought, you know? And so, um, yeah, I, so I'll just stop there and say, that's what I tend to focus on. What I look at, and that we didn't, I, I haven't gone into the federal piece yet or the national level politics that yet, but, but I'm giving that local example because it seems to me pretty um, clear to me that that's the conversation I want to have. When we talk about convening with each other to solve problems across difference, which of course there's going to be always a plenty, a plethora of difference of all kinds. We can't get around that. And let's do it more creatively. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, it happens on both sides of the political spectrum, you know, that we're wanting 
we're wanting something and then we, it's like a self-contradiction, you know, like we're wanting um, equity and justice, but we don't treat our opposition fairly or justly or with compassion, you know, or, you know, we, we want to uphold a certain morality that we think, you know, we our, our laws should express a certain morality, but then we, you know, we kind of let slide something of that morality in the day to day or how we treat people. And so um, I think one side likes to point at the other side doing this, this contradiction thing, but both sides do it. Like this is something we humans do is we, we can see something out over there and we can't see how we're doing the very thing ourselves. Uh, and which is something I think you're pointing to. So really the issue is it's, it's how human are we to each other? And, and can our policies really reflect even what we can't do with each other? If we can't bring ourselves to be kind, compassionate, human, patient, um, forgiving um, with each other, how, how will our policies ever um, reflect that? And if our policies don't reflect that, how will we, how will our society ever be a reflection of that? Exactly. I think when I think about what people want when they get into these policy debates is the paradigm is winning or losing. It's winning or losing. It's a horse race. It's is my, do I have the votes to pass this piece of legislation or not? It's all based on a calculation, a numeric calculation really, which is who's got the higher score. And I think as long as we pin success to that paradigm, there's no incentive to bring our humanity forward and to value it in a different way. The humanity just it gets thrown under the bus because I've got to keep score here. I got to get the score to be higher than my, the other the other guy or gals. No, and I wonder as you're speaking. Um... Lisa, I see that there's something inherent in that. Like even very small children like to win, right? But there's something, if, if I only think that this ego structure, this ego structure needs to win, you know, this ego structure, this ego identity needs to win or be validated or um, lauded or proved of, whatever, then the the game of winning something, the desire to win something is a setup for a loss. But if the game is for, if, if I don't, if I not only identify with this ego structure, but the, and the, and the wellness of myself, but also the wellness of you, the wellness of the, the community of, you know, people all over the world, the planet, then I won't rest at just the ego identity winning. It's like I want the ego identity to win and everything else to win. It's like if 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 the if the objective was for all of us to win, then we stay in the game. We keep playing until until we can find a way that's going to serve 
the greater whole, not just the few. I like this word that Daniel Schmachtenberger is using in his talks. Um, he's an amazing thinker and philosopher, and I've just listened now for the fourth time to his talk on emergence. Um, and he talks about us growing and evolving in he, what he calls an omni-considerate way. Omni-considerate. It considers everything together equally, and it integrates all externalities. So when we're looking for creating policies, when we're looking to um, help, help our society thrive, can we think about the whole? Is there care for everybody ultimately thriving um, in, 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 a, in a myriad different kinds of ways? Yeah. And you know, for me, what that would look like, for instance, okay, so let's go back into that political um, diorama. I'm looking at the 10 Democratic candidates standing up on stage running for president, talking about their different policy proposals. And when those folks are at their best, I notice they offer a, a consideration and a conviviality and a respect to each other that's really, look, we're all in this together. Um, no one yet has done that to the, about the Republicans. I would love to hear someone say, um, instead of lambasting them for everything they're doing wrong, to say instead, look, I know we haven't agreed. We don't necessarily agree. Um, we've, we've had quite a bit of confrontation around how we solve this problem between those of us in the Democratic you know, Party and those in the Republicans. Um, um, but I'm determined to continue to work together to understand each other. Um, uh, because what I hear instead is we've got to fight them, we've got to stop them, and we've got to win. Which sets us up for clash, exclusion, win-lose, and possibly a deeper divide than ever before. There's got to be more space emerging for everyone's point of view to be, to be in the room. Um, and, you know, gosh, I, I'm sitting here thinking about that and having watched a show last night on World War II and the concentration camps in Nazi Germany. And how do you make room for people who still walk around with Nazi insignia who are Holocaust deniers and who believe in a white um, supremacist um, civilization. How do you make room for that? Do we marginalize those folks, cut them out completely? Or do we find a way for them to have a voice, but it's a voice that has to be, a res that cannot be, um, that has to be respectable of the all, of the whole, that has to, uh, that, that ultimately we can't be so threatened by, we have to eliminate. So I just, I don't know yet what, but I can, what I do notice is that when political, people with political power and influence in the stage um, treat each other on that stage, with respect 
even when the differences are severe. Um, it raises the frequency of everyone and it, it pulls us up into a bigger dialogue versus one that falls back into win-lose. And winning, and that's the other thing that Daniel Schmackenberger says, he says, it's like winning at a dying system isn't very fun. You know? It's true. Yeah. It's like winning it, winning, killing it in this system. Like if you're just, he says, if you're just killing it in this system, like, so like, what, what's what is that? What are you going to take to the bank? It, you know, a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't matter in the end because a whole bunch of other people are suffering. Um, I don't know how good it's going to feel. And I'll say this then I'm, I really, sorry, I've hogged the mic here for a second, but I don't know how good it's going to feel when a Democrat wins in 2020, only because I am pretty certain that as a collective, we're, we're going to incite an equal amount, if not greater, um, animosity from folks who are scared of having lost. And that scares me. It gives me pause. I'm not saying I want them to win. <laughs> I'm saying that I want whoever to win to offer a big fat olive leaf to a lot of people. Well, and that can't happen after the fact, like, right. That's gotta be yeah. the whole process, which is one of the reasons why I think you and I thought having this conversation sooner rather than later felt important. I mean, it, it felt important to me that now when there's still plenty of time, you know, um, to make decisions for who we want to support and how we want to be, um, to really think about the outcome, you know, to think about how do we create the possibility for us moving in a greater mass forward than we have with the current administration. Because the one thing, no matter how you feel about the current administration, I think what feels pretty clear is that that there's a divisiveness that we uh, we're more divided than ever we get we are becoming increasingly divided as a country as a people and um, and that right there in and of itself might be a good measure for making decisions as citizens you know um, what's the most inclusive um, move what's the most compassionate move and it brings up what you're saying about um you know like neo-nazis it's um you know we can treat them as human beings and see their value as as human beings they have a right to to live um but they don't have a right to um create fear in the hearts of other people who are living they don't have a right to bully other people who are living right and so it's like that's our measure and can we can we from my perspective and can we make our um our choices as citizens based on 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 um who's 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 living and who's speaking in ways that feel inclusive and 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 warm my heart that that have some connection with humanity and are um and are likely to generate greater peace rather than uh greater war um we can't say what the outcomes will be but we can certainly say that if 
we're um, if we're trying to kick some ass <laughs> or we're trying to resist something, resistance and ass kicking is is what we're going to feed. You know, it goes back to that conversation we had last time about where we invest our energy. That thing will grow. Um, and so if if we're invested in winning so that other people can lose, if we're investing invested in fighting against something fight the energy of fight is what we increase and the energy of win at the other's expense is what we increase yeah so helen you didn't bring in up um the the speeches and the words of marianne williamson quite a bit i got an i got an email i've been really interested in in marianne williamson um, running for president for the last several months. Um, I wasn't particularly interested in her as a writer, an author, or um, kind of a, a spiritual um, leader, uh, or even an activist. I did actually know about her activism, um, her AIDS activism. Mm. Um, uh, she's done a lot that I've now learned about. But I got intrigued with her because she seemed to be talking straight. Like she seemed to be not worried about positioning herself in kind of the same way some of the career politicians are, are positioning themselves. And um, just, just the other day, there was an email from her that because she's been this spiritual leader and she gets mocked for that, you know, as like being a crystal carrying woo-woo, which is actually not her shtick at all. Um, but, uh, she wrote this email and it says, often I'm asked how spirituality applies to politics. And I really like this answer. She said, the answer is easy. Spirituality is simply the path of the heart. And the problem with American politics today is how often our policies are heartless. And then she kind of articulates she kind of articulates the ways in which she she sees certain policies being heartless. Um, you know, I kind of like the idea of someone who's very comfortable with being connected to their 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 spiritual center, their heart center, not a particular denomination, not making judgments. Um, about what others' belief systems should be, but it's this, it's this heart-based. Let's make policies that um, support thriving at a larger scale. There's just some very basic ways in which we could consider our um, ourselves, like coming from our spiritual center that has nothing to do with religious point of view um, or a belief in God, even it's more about a belief in uh, kind of some kind of innate goodness that we, we can all access and that makes us all feel better. Um, makes us all feel more connected to each other and to ourselves and, and to, plants and animals and we're kinder like who doesn't want more kindness i don't know i mean i think if somebody doesn't want more kindness it's because they haven't had enough kindness shown to them and if we show people kindness enough then they find the kindness in themselves it's like love begets love you know if you really really can love someone unconditionally it's like 
they feel it and they can't help but act from that place. Whereas if you fight against somebody, they can't help but feel that. And there'll be some argument in their system, some sense of needing to defend against a fight. It just seems fundamental to me. So I'm kind of now on my soapbox and, and I'm hogging the mic. But um, one of the things that interested me about that particular candidate in Marianne Williamson is there's, she has nothing to lose and everything to gain by just saying it like it is and coming from a place of love. And if that makes it weird or woo-woo, maybe that's what makes it the most interesting to me is that it's not business as usual. It's not politics as usual. Um, and I think it has, she has the potential when we listen to, and we, we have conversations like we're having today, to change the to change the narrative let's like let's stop let's stop having conversations about who's more right or who's more wrong and and start talking about like oh is this is this what we want to participate in is this what what we want politics to be in government governance to be and if not um, what can we as individuals do to start investing in what we do want. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. Well, so you talked about um, how important her voice is to the larger narrative and it changing the narrative over time. And, and, and I would say, yes, it's probably gonna take her voice and lots of other voices feeling emboldened to start speaking up about this kind of thing as well. And, you know, when I was listening to the democratic debates, some people, get frustrated because there's still so many candidates in the race. Um, I relish the number of voices are on the stage. I see it as a sign of healthy democracy that we have so many excellent candidates on the stage, that we have people who are willing to put their life mission on this huge platform that is incredibly compromising and exhausting. Um, and I am thrilled to see so many different ideas being articulated. And the longer we allow all of these ideas to be fertilizing themselves and each other, um, and including voices like Marianne Williamson, who will then further, will open up the narrative. I see that as a sign of evolution. And, and, and that you, um, it's pointing to the idea that in time, we might not see campaigns with one person running but a team of people running so rather than having a single individual um some titular leader who's is incapable of having all the intelligence needed to solve the problems that we have and to stop pretending there's a mythology pro propping up the mythology that that's even true uh, you know reflect the truth, which is that you need a team of people and, and um, have the campaign uh, demonstrate that by running a team of people, you know, and that that's because that's really what it requires. Um, I, that could be how it, how, it, how it rolls over time as we start to see the flattening of the old structure of hierarchy that has, um, that's, that's dying, a slow death that's absolutely lost its effectiveness and its efficacy in terms of solving big problems. Um, so 
I think, you know, I have also really enjoyed Marianne's um, words and the way she's brought every topic to a higher level. She's framed every topic by acknowledging deep history, by considering a broader range of possibilities, imagining a bigger future, by holding more of the truth of the problem in all of its mental, emotional, psychological aspects. You know, she's done that, which has been about, which is to me more honest way of depicting a problem in the first place versus trying to oversimplify it the way politicians have done for years in order to make people think that they could solve it quickly and they had that capacity, which of course no one does. Right. It's a lie. Um, so the politicians get more interesting and more honest when they frame the problems appropriately and they stop pretending that there are easy solutions that won't require everybody from both from all ideologies, political parties, to participate in it. Because again, I don't I also don't think that's possible anymore. That we could, you know, roll out a whole bunch of things that we believe in that are important to do that re about reflect, you know, protecting the environment and, and, and loosening up um, restrictions on immigration and doing all that and just roll over all the resistance and not suffer some consequences. I'd rather take a longer time, roll up our sleeves, lean into co certain conflict because it's certain and practice the how of doing conflict differently so that it becomes creative and expansive and way more ambiguous, but ultimately leaves people whole versus like a battlefield. You know, when you talk about the idea of teams running for president. I like that. And, and it's actually not far from what the cabinet is supposed to be, right? I mean, yeah. there's something there, though, in what you're saying that feels important to talk about in terms of like a candidate like Marianne Williamson, which, you know, the, the argument against such a candidate is, oh, well, she doesn't have an ex any experience in politics, right? She, she wouldn't know how to make policies, but presidents don't really make policies, right? What a president does is have a vision. And what's really interesting, you bring up some other point about her that, that she has such a big grasp on what the issues are. She's talking about the past, like we can't move forward until we face the past of what we've done uh, in terms of slavery and that this country is built on slavery, you know, and, and brutality and 300 years of, of formal and informal um, brutality. Uh, isn't erased, you know, um, and without being addressed. And, and the same with Native Americans. And she has a beautiful perspective about how trauma is playing out all over our country, but in most especially in children and with refugees. And, you know, she's in a unique uh, position to understand some of that because because she's not in politics, right? Because she spent her life trying to help um, people improve their lives and um, get a spiritual grounding and get in touch with their hearts and address trauma. Um, and there's something kind of interesting to think about. Do we need, do we need to even reconsider what we think 
um, makes for a good president. So many people said that that Trump would be good because Trump's a businessman, as if what it takes to run a corporation is what it takes to run a country. And I think people understand, or a lot of people understand that, that that's not true. You know, something about a company has a very narrow focus and something about a country has a very broad focus. So I actually think she'd be really interesting. Um, not just as someone who changes the conversation, but as someone who, who might actually, if she could ever win, I think it would be really fascinating to have someone like that in office who, who then is actually really skilled at dealing with people and actually rallying people and getting people behind um, a, uh, a shared perspective, not out of fear, but out of, out of uh, a sense of possibility and inspiration and hope and heart-centeredness. Um, what it takes to be a president might be very different than we've thought for, for the last several generations. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're, I think you're onto something. Here's though what I would say, cause I don't entirely agree that she would be a good president. I think that she would be a great um, daily coach to a president. And I would rather see Marianne Williamson as somebody that the next president brought in as a senior advisor and coach. She's in there helping thinking about convening the cabinet, getting the cabinet members to become their best leadership, live at their leadership edges and to lead from the heart and to bring them together as a team. Um, and to be a voice for this higher level thinking and um, integrating and processing. Uh, but I, I guess I, I don't see, I don't feel confident. And for as I'm as far out there as I am, I'm also sort of steeped in the pragmatism that's required to like get things done within this existing format of how power works. And I just think we're not there yet. I think we could get there. I'm, I'm really, I'm surprised to hear you say that, Lisa, because, um, because I think that what you need in the office is someone who's savvy, who knows people and knows how to motivate people and has a broader vision and knows how to bring the right people in. I mean, the president is making sure that she or he is surrounded by people that do their job really well, who is surrounded by the the career policymakers, the career advisors, you know, um, and and then the, and then the fresh, the fresh new voices is making sure that they're hearing fresh new voices in addition to uh, the people that have been there for a long time. Because sometimes, if you've been there for a long time, you start to think that only that the way you know things is possible. Anybody who's been in a company. Mm -hmm. knows how that goes. You know, you've been in a company for a long time and then someone new comes to change something. You're like, oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. And here's why. But if you've been equal in the other position, you've, you've been frustrated by the people that have been there for a while, can't see outside their box, right? Right. So, um, so I'm surprised to hear you say that that particular position you think needs more political savvy. Can you say more about that? I think it's because for to get the respect of everyone around you you're being you're surrounded by career official career bureaucrats um 
other politicians, um, people who've navigated this world, you're surrounded by that and you need their respect. And they can smell if you don't have that particular um, skill. It's not skill, it's experience. It's having lived through, I think you have to have lived through some political past and learn from it and to be able to transform it. I think you have got to be able to say, I did that and it didn't work. And here's why. So I'm offering, so I'm not going to play that old game. I did play it and I know how to play it. Watch me. I can do it, but I know better. And I, in fact, I insist, and I'm going to be leading a whole different way. But if you don't, if you don't have that, I don't think you can get the respect of as many people as you need to have respect for them unless you've actually lived it. Now, what's interesting is Pete Buttigieg, right? He's super novice guy. He's just the mayor. He will have some of that. But I would argue if he were a woman, he couldn't even get near this thing because of sexism. So, because it's not nearly enough time on the ground. Um, I feel like in our light now, at our level and our history, and, 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 and Trump was bandying about this idea that the government is just like a company. And so I've been there and I can do it. It's just not true. It was a, it, no, anyone who's ever worked in government knows that that's not true. And all of his followers wanted to believe that. It's not because they want to be like Trump or they want the easy win or they see themselves as everyone should be able to, you know, um, earn that kind of money if they want to in this country. But, you know, government is nothing like corporations. And so it's not true that the experience is transferable at all. And so I feel like to earn the respect of people who've, who've swum in these waves for years and years and years, and to offer a very different vision for how we could do it, has to be grounded in having lived it. That's, that's a theory and, a, and probably a belief that comes, that I just have, that I don't know if I could easily shake off. Fair enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think she'll be dismissed as naive so often. But if she didn't, if she had lived it and come through it, it'd be harder to claim as naive. Because hmm. you could give examples of what you've lived and what you're now doing, moving from. Hmm. And it would be a stronger argument. Um, I could be wrong. Of course I'm wrong. Of course I'm wrong. I'm, this is just a theory. <laughs> I just feel it in my bones that I, I long for a candidate who has served in political office some portion of their career and who brings the language forward of a Marianne Williamson. And that would be transformative more for me in my mind and get me really excited because I, I would, it would feel more stable um, and more possible at this juncture.
Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't know, I don't know if it, you know, we, we, we might have to go a ways longer. I don't see anybody like that now, you know? Um, and it's curious, you know, the people, the very people that, that um, we need may not be drawn to politics. You know, that's, that's part of the point too, I think, is that um, we're at a pretty unique time in history where everything we've done so far has gotten us to where we are today. Everything, right? And so perhaps only something radical, di radically different will get us uh, a different outcome, you know? I think if you go back to just the politics of today and the, and the disparities, I think, unfortunately, and that um, people of color and women are still so marginalized that it's only, it's like white men could, could a white man could stand up and say these very um, aspirational, higher spiritual calling and talk about the kind of unity that's possible through that, that um, for instance, Obama didn't ever feel like he had the, the ability to talk about when it came to slavery because of the way the politics of this country were so dead set against, so threatened by a black man talking about that or a woman talking about some of the things that I think you know, we see Marianne talking about could a white man do it and get away with it now? I think probably more so. It's pro and that's this political pragmatist in me that feels the truth of that, given what I know about the, the, how people are, see the world right now. Mm. Um, it's disappointing, mm -hmm. actually. Because I kept wanting to Obama because I thought he had the inclination for more spiritual, high-level dialogue. Mm -hmm. But he shied away from the bigger, harder stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you, you may be totally right that, that, I, I, that no one would, would take her seriously, that, um, that she wouldn't be successful. And it comes back down to, I, I don't know that I believe that's true, but, but you may be right. And it comes back down to, for me, where do I want to invest my energy? Like, I am not interested in hedging my bets or investing my energy in anything less than what I feel is needed, you know? And... I feel love is needed and compassion is needed and, and looking at our past and owning it as a country and saying um, there's a reason why there's so much in, inequity in the world. And it's not because people haven't pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. It's because we've had, we've institutionally repressed people um, and we need to address that somehow. Even if we can't, we don't have the economic means to absolutely 100% or even, you know, 50% address it and, and right those wrongs. The very fact that we could face it and say, good Lord, I wish we could, you know, and we're going to do what we can. 
like that's huge. Like to, it, it allows a wound to be seen um, and maybe begin to be cleansed. When we don't feel seen, we never feel, we don't feel like we can fully show up. And there's something about oh, someone inviting us to see the truth so we can fully show up that that's where I want to invest my energy. That's where I want to invest my, my time, my money. And like, even if the outcome might not be what I think I want, I don't know that anything bad could come from keep coming back to love and keep coming back to what's the most compassionate and where, who's the most interesting, who's the most loving, who's the most um, unifying mm -hmm. or what policies are. Yeah. Oh, I think there's no downside to any of that. And I think when I think about how do I choose to spend my time, it's not focusing on the presidential election. <laughs> Cause I see it as possibly a vortex. You know, I don't, um, I don't think that it's, it's about electing a person into an existing system that's dying. That certainly will reveal things to us about where we need to go next, but it won't resolve a lot of the issues that we currently have going on. Um, I think where I, when I think about how do I want to focus my energy, you know, what, what do I, how do I want to support love and compassion? It's going to local forums and asking people like Kashama that if given that we're going to have you in office here for the next period of time, I'd really, I, I really ask you as a citizen to practice a kind of kindness and respect for all parties in working through stuff to raise the, the tenor of this dialogue uh, versus model a kind of confrontation that drops us into a stalemate again and again. And so when I want to invest my time, when I think about investing my time, it's to love her enough to say the hard thing and hope that uh, I don't get drowned out by social justice advocates who think I'm a sellout. Hmm. So that feels scary to me, but I love the idea more than my fear. <laughs> you know? I do too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, and it's not that I don't, it's really not even that I don't like, so, so to, to imagine like, well, where am I going to put my attention on the federal election? I think I'm just going to put it on um, more of a prayer for there to be um, more kindness and consideration across any kind of ideological divide going forward. And, uh, and, and, and hope and, and act, you know, really get excited for that as a possibility um, versus getting focused in on a person. That's what I think I've seen is that I, I don't know um, yet that I have a lot of, I, prob I probably don't have much faith that the system itself can hold the person well any longer. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's what's happening to me. I like talking about the politics less in terms of the specifics and more at a broader, I think that's no matter what our individual positions are, that's a way to find greater unification or wholeness, you know, is to take a step back 
which is where you invited us in the beginning, the, the very local race of how do we treat each other? How do we go about doing whatever it is that we want to do? If we take that step back, um, it pulls us up out of the weeds of the details and brings us more in touch with, I'll say, our hearts and our kindness and our humanity. Yeah, I think I think that's. It would be nice if we could keep lifting ourselves back up to that. It will feel. It definitely is more inclusive. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, every every issue. What's the bigger picture here? What's what are we trying to accomplish? Yeah, from a what, bigger perspective. What's at stake from a bigger perspective? Mm-hmm. And what's mm-hmm. our role in addressing that? Mm-hmm. What do we care about most? Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my friend. Well, my friend, it's, we, the light has, has disappeared. The light has disappeared, and we've got a long uh, year of politics ahead of us in this country. <laughs> Yeah, we do. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah. So maybe this will be the, this will either be the first of, a, of many conversations or the last. <laughs> oh, we'll see. We don't know when next time will be. Yeah, we don't know. We'll just say until next time. If until there is next time. time. Yeah. If there okay. is one, until yeah. then. This has been Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted. If our conversation inspired or provoked you, we hope you'll start a meaningful exchange with the people in your life. We're grateful to Kevin McLeod, who generously provided this music, and to artist Tom X, a dear friend of Lisa's, for providing the beautiful painting that graces our show title. Until next time, may we all remember the sometimes miraculous power of real dialogue and practice having kind, curious, and naked conversations.